Podcast One. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. And in this podcast, we will cover the global and local developments you need to know this week. Well, welcome to Miracle Election Week. What a surprise for everyone on that one. With me today is Jane Ratcliffe, the co-founder and managing director of Standard Media Index, SMI, Australia and New Zealand, and of course, John Bradshaw, former marketer with Diageo, Mars, Virgin and Lion, and now a principal at Brand Traction. This week, we are, as always, going to cover a few of the global and local intelligence briefs, the essential things you need to know. We'll go into a deep dive on the direct-to-consumer boom uh, that's going on with a whole bunch of companies uh, trying to get uh, their startups in order. And we'll take a really interesting conversation uh, with the expat Australian executive creative director of Dollar Shave Club, Matt Knapp. So the first intelligence brief today is Brendan Cook from O Media came out uh, on Friday talking about green shoots for the out-of-home sector, or at least O Media. Post-election, post-Easter bookings picking up. So we are going to have a conversation around really how are we going to see that pan out in, for the rest of the year, the media market. Jane, your data is quite interesting. We are for the March quarter, the lowest since the GFC in terms of growth. And uh, I think the April month was down 4.4%. Is that right, Jane? Uh, the early April data, we haven't got the full April spend yet, is back about 18%. So... Uh, we expect that for the final results for the month, once all the digital ad spend comes in, because keep in mind it takes ages for digital uh, media to be paid, um, it'll be at least, I would say, a 10% decline. So very significant. But there was a big Easter period um, in this April, but it's still continuing the trend we've been seeing for an unfortunately long time now with another significant decline. Now we're talking about was it nine months of consecutive declines you've you've seen in the media sector? Yes, it's uh, the last month of year-on-year monthly growth was in August, and whether it's coincidence or not, but that was when Malcolm Turnbull was deposed as prime minister. Ever since then, you know, it has been on a uh, negative trajectory. Brendan Cook talking about green shoots and whether that's uh, likely for the rest of the media market. What's your sense uh, post-election now that we have ScoMo back in with his miracles? I think it's going to be great for business confidence. You know, the, the, one of the major issues the market has been facing for the past nine months is a extreme lack of business confidence. You know, we can see it quite clearly in the data. Um, you know, recruitment ad spend, just as an example, is at one of the lowest points it's ever been. It's quite remarkable the breadth of product categories for which we're seeing very significant declines in ad spend. And it just seems to be, you know, I've been talking to all our media agency partners and and they say no one is prepared to invest in anything new at the moment because they're all just waiting to see what the business environment is going to be like. So I think it will give businesses the confidence to re-look at their uh budgets, um, their their product development plans. You know, hopefully we'll see more products come to market. As you know, you know, as soon as that happens, you want to advertise it. (laughs) 
all of which will uh, rebuild demand, which is much in uh, need at the moment. John, your sense on uh, well, the, the, the conversations you're having with your clients in what sectors and it, does, it, does it marry with what Jane's talking about? Certainly the conversations I'm having with uh, my clients in a broad range of consumer goods uh, and across the kind of advertising agency and media landscape, it's not just political stability that people are worried about its economic and kind of fiscal stability as well. That means that might not be enough to get the immediate impact that Brendan's hoping for. And I think uh, Pat Crowley at Icon here saying not likely to see great things this side of Christmas is probably um, more where I think things might pan out. Yes, well, we did a bit of a vox pop on the weekend, and to your point, we we spoke to Pat Crowley at, at Icon, who obviously works on the ComBank business. We spoke to Henry Tager at uh, Dentsu Aegis, the CEO there, and Christian Kroon, who's the Chief Investors Investment Officer at Omnicom Media Group. All of those um, uh, buy-side uh, players are talking about the possibility of green shoots, but hedging their bets. I think um, Henry Tager ha- had an interesting line. He talked about hopefully ScoMo will put the mojo back into the media market. He's saying uh, that the market should see a post-election pickup. Pat Crowley talks about it being troubled for the remainder of the year, the, the overall ad market. Election might help. Not necessarily we will see a bounce and not much positivity until the second half uh, of next year. Uh, and finally, Christian Kroon talks about green shoots feeling early to to both your points um, in all media channels, but he does cite uh, Jane's fine company uh, at SMI saying that the sentiment of market decline stabilising is probably about right. Uh, green shoots potentially for the new financial year, and interestingly, uh, JB, this is in your sweet spot. He says it's a great opportunity for bold advertisers to grab market share. So this is again now when we get into the counter counter behaviour of what the market's behaving. Buy now, get market share and voice share a voice and see if your business gets some traction. You buy that to some extent, don't you? Um, share of voice is critical, but also not entirely surprised that media sales guy says buy media now. <laughs> right. Well, yes, it's true, except on the buy side, they're also trying to suppress... Um, a, a more confident market on the sell side because it keeps prices down and we want to keep a lid on demand. So um, I think in, in this instance, there's some fairly pragmatic views being put, but uh, the, the, the agenda aside on the buy side and the buyers, there is this notion that everyone acts as a herd and pulls when everyone's pulling and, and there are opportunities when people are out of the market. What is the, your clients talking about now? In the main, my clients need to be in the market almost on a kind of permanent basis as a, a couple of segments where you might be a little bit more seasonally skewed and you might you might skew the media plan. But mostly what we're learning is that in order to kind of keep mental availability high, you need to be in the market almost all the time. So great if it's a bit cheaper because nobody's around and I can grab share of voice at a kind of lower price. That's great for me as a, as a client, um, but not a reason to suddenly shift um, millions of dollars into this quarter versus a more even media schedule for the bulk of my clients anyway. Okay, on to the next one. PepsiCo and Anheuser-Busch uh, are both going on the in-housing trend. PepsiCo has just uh, talked about hiring a media and data team. They've got some ads in the market uh, looking for that. And, of course, Anheuser-Busch is, is uh, ramping up its in-house agency. We're seeing this uh, more and more. 
And I think the interesting bit here is that uh, in the in the PepsiCo case, it's around media. They've tried creative. They've done some creative, uh, fancy creative stuff uh, out of their studios in New York. Uh, this is now trying to take a, a grab at data and uh, media programmatic programmatic media. Interesting trend, this one, in that uh, last year, the ANA in the US, the peak advertiser body, came out with a survey that talked about uh, the most uh, – the biggest reason for taking things in-house is around cost efficiency and that it's less about anything else. It's the, it's the, it's the money grab. So uh, at the same time, they're talking about 90% of those, of those advertisers wanting to stick with agencies. But cost effectiveness, efficiency, efficacy, John, you've got, you've got some thoughts on this. You're not convinced. Uh, well, I definitely think we need to kind of rebalance the books towards efficacy over efficiency. Um, but I'm not entirely sure that the costs of the creative agency are, are at the heart of that debate. I do think this is interesting. Um, this is kind of media and creative and data play from these people. We're starting to see some of the old rationale for why I needed to outsource my advertising stuff. Some of those kind of fundamental arguments crumble. It was always they're cheaper. And what we're seeing here is a whole bunch of clients saying it's not necessarily cheaper to outsource. I can actually work the model financially to my own advantage. Um, that you can't attract and recruit creative talent into a client. And we're starting to see that maybe that's not true anymore. And certainly I think one of the smart plays here is clients starting to own their own data and to kind of build their own body of understanding um, of the customer and consumer base. So uh, really interesting stuff. Um, good to see that they're not abandoning the agency landscape altogether. I think there's some specialism out there that they that they really benefit from. A lot of this is based around the uh, digital media uh, planning and buying. Uh, they still, a lot of the big companies still talk about needing the specialist agencies for those legacy media plays, the different skill set. Uh, Jane, what are you seeing uh, from the agency booking side? In, any impact at all uh, you've seen of this in-housing trend? I can just go off the empirical evidence, which is what we collect. And the fact of the matter is, and you know, this discussion's been going on for years and years now. Like it has. People keep saying, oh, they're, more people are in-housing and whatever. But clearly it's such a small proportion of the total because, you know, for the CY 2018 year, it was the sixth consecutive year of growth in media agency expenditure. And that's an incredible thing because, you know, we're talking $7.2, $7.3 billion. To get growth on such a huge number means that something very positive is going on within media agency land, you know, and it, it talks to the fact that agencies aren't sitting still, you know, like, like any professional service organisation, you're constantly innovating, you're constantly developing your skills, you're constantly having to react to what your clients want, which is what they do. And as a result, they are continuing to attract the vast bulk of, you know, national marketer ad spend. So there will always be clients that for whatever reason, every client is different, everyone has their own issues, things they want to focus on. But the total spend is not in decline through agencies. So the next intelligence brief got a study out from the US. Half of uh, all Fortune 500 CEOs now believe Facebook should have more regulation. Uh, and this is interesting, I guess, because we are weeks away from the ACCC's uh, 
final report on its digital platforms inquiry. Out of interest, Jane, what what, you, what are you seeing in your social spends from agencies growth versus the market? Overall this year, digital media spend is flat, if not down a bit overall out of national marketers, but social is still the, the strong growth area. To their credit, the big Facebooks and Googles and whatever are, are recognising that there needs to be more regulation. And I think even Mark Zuckerberg came out and said, someone's got to do something. Um, but it was really brought into clear focus after the Christchurch massacre. And New Zealand's Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern um, initiated a global meeting of tech companies and world leaders in Paris last week, and it was called the Christchurch Call. And it was all about how do we ensure that for key uh, issues like live streaming, that there are checks and balances. With the exception of the US, who had an issue with their freedom of speech and their constitution, everyone signed up to it. All the countries that were there and tech companies, you know, Facebook included, um, agreeing to work collaboratively towards a better solution, at least for live streaming, which I think is a really great step forward. And needs to happen. We'll see more of that, no, no doubt. To this week's deep dive, a very interesting subject that has got lots of US marketers and uh, European marketers and probably starting to kick here as well as this thing called the direct brand economy or direct to consumer businesses. Uh, we saw last week Edgewell Consumer Healthcare, which owns Chic, the Razors Chic, has uh, just paid about $1.4 billion for Harry's Shave Club. It's another dollar-save club scenario, which you need to be paid a billion or so for uh, in 2015. This is all about big companies with big retail footprints trying to get a direct-to-consumer access, understand the customer, get closer to the customer and get a hold of data and the conversation. So we are seeing a whole bunch of uh, direct-to-consumer offerings coming through. We look at that this week. P&G, L'Oreal, Nestle, obviously an early direct-to-consumer player with Nespresso. They're making acquisitions all over the place. And we've seen even ex-media executives like Tim Armstrong from Google, AOL and Oath Media setting up a DTX platform, which is essentially a portfolio that's invested into in six women's focused direct uh, to consumer businesses. So it's all happening. And this is what we look at. JB, you might have some thoughts on this. And it is worth putting this into context before we talk about how exciting this is. Um, so dollar shave cover, 8% of the razors market. Now, that's not bad going for a company that, you know, for most of that didn't have the backing of the big company to get it there. But it is still a minority player in the major razors market. And that's true across most of these examples at the moment, that this is new and small. That said, it's definitely interesting and it's definitely growing. And there's nothing in particularly that says it can't be considerably bigger than it currently is. And it throws off a whole bunch of benefits for the parent organization, especially, again, around data, around understanding consumer and shopper usage and behavior, that currently, because there's a retailer in between the manufacturer and the kind of consumer usage, is data that's very hard or very expensive to get hold of. So this is all very interesting in the context of kind of, you know, less than 10% market share. If we well. bring it back to the Australian market, we've seen mixed signals. You've got... Temple and Webster, which is the online homes, homeware store, it was the ugly duck of Australian IPOs in 2016. It listed at a dollar ten, and within six months was down to twelve cents. It has bounced back uh, in its last last round. It's back up to a dollar thirty in its share price, and its sales are up. Revenues are up forty percent in the December half. 
to fifty about fifty million dollars. Active customers who are up thirty two percent to two hundred thirty one thousand. There's a bad news story that came good, but we've also seen this year as well. Um, you know, fine startups. Jane probably was aware of it. Birds of Prey, the shoe startup, which is very very popular amongst women with certain custom styles and so forth. It went into liquidation, as did Surf Stitch, another direct to consumer that tried to do some things. So there's some mixed signals there. Uh, and I think we were no no question a lot of the activity is about companies trying to do better with their uh, direct-to-consumer rather than going through trade routes. And it's where these big company acquisitions are interesting because the direct-to-consumer business can teach the larger brand a lot about retailing directly and how to manage, you know, that genuinely does become a customer experience job then, where if you're kind of sad at... Coca-Cola headquarters is only a very small bit of the customer experience you're actually in any control of. But also, as we're seeing with things like Shoes of Prey, they need some of the big company disciplines about long-term brand building and how you kind of build and manage a brand over the longer term beyond the last click attribution. I think the really interesting thing that a chap by the name of Matt Knapp, who's an Australian expat who is with Dollar Shave Club, he's the executive creative director there at Dollar Shave Club, talked about how social launched Dollar Shave Club in 2012. There's a great viral video. It's very funny with the CEO of Dollar Shave Club talking about uh, the product and it went viral, it went crazy. He's now saying that, ironically, Dollar Shave Club is moving from lots of, well, almost exclusively social spending to build the brand, oh, sorry, to build customers, to going to legacy media because there's some cachet, there's so much clutter in social, everyone's trying to do it, that there's a level of trust and authenticity and um, fast-tracking of brand equity that gets uh, that he gets from uh, legacy media like out of home and television that they're all now moving in. So there's a really interesting crossover here, right, where you've got the big companies going to be trying to behave like the uh, direct-to-consumer startups and the direct-to-consumer startups trying to behave like the big companies and legacy media. Uh, your data's showing anything around that? Well, I, I suppose to put the context around it, you know, national marketer ad spend on digital is 25 to 30% of total. So, you know, clearly... The vast bulk of um, spending, media spending from the big advertisers goes to television, then it's digital, you know, outdoor has now grown its share of media agency bookings to about 15%. You know, radio is really strong. There's parts of newspapers that are doing well, you know, so it's always been there. It's just that in the quest for the new and shiny, everyone talks digital, but these traditional medias continue to work really, really well for lots and lots of advertisers. Um, they're still getting, you know, $5 billion a year in ad spend. It's a very significant amount. Right. 25 to 30% is interesting at a, on a, at a national advertiser level, the big end of town, right? And the final instalment for this week is our leader profile with none other than Matt Knapp from uh, Dollar Shave Club. Uh, fascinating uh, conversation with him on two fronts. One is, you know, we talk about brand safety. Uh, Pornhub is a new uh, channel for uh, Dollar Shave Club to advertise, even though it's a Unilever company. And, you know, there's, there's Matt Knapp says they're being left alone to to do cheap reach and do and connect with blokes on 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 the, in their environment. So I think it's a really interesting contrast on on brand safety and the brand safety debate. But also, most interestingly, he's in house and he's a big fan. He was an ex uh, agency creative from DDB, both in uh, Sydney and New York. He moved in house to um, Dollar Shave Club and he uh, raves about um, being close to the marketing department. How creatives are close to the marketing teams. 
and you can influence a lot and you're not in that agency client dynamic uh, that he's grown up on. It's all gone and you're all pushing towards the same goal. So there's a really interesting in, – in this debate about in-housing, John, um, he's a fan and some of those old uh, barriers say go. Uh, yeah, the in-housing thing is probably slightly more interesting than the, than the Pornhub thing here. This notion that creative directors are now excited about being in-housed in, um, in the client, um, if that's true, um, is a fa- fascinating shift. You know, akin to the shift between actors wanting to work in movies exclusively and now being excited about working for HBO in, in television. And if that's true, one of the kind of last bastions of competitive advantage in kind of agency land is starting to be eroded, which, you know, they've always and historically rightly said that the talent is attracted to the agency culture and the agency kind of working diversity environment and, so forth, and so, the yeah. diversity. Uh, and if clients are now starting to kind of breach that wall and it's becoming sexy to work for a client, um, that that's another interesting headwind for the agency landscape that's got more than enough. Yeah, well, I'd say a caveat here. I spoke to one of the creative uh, headhunters in Australia, uh, Esther Clarehand, who said that a lot of the uh, agency creatives are all looking at Matt Knapp and the, the Dollar Shave Clubs is now, we want to go in-house, but it's it's going in-house on that basis, which there's not that many Dollar Shave Clubs that are irreverent and, and fun to work out. We're talking financial services and the like. And I, th- I think this is a kind of small bit at the moment. It might be an early indicator of things to come, but we could blow it out of proportion at the moment. That's it from us for this week. Uh, you can go to mia-3.com.au to get the full lineup of intelligence briefs and deep dives and leaders. We will see you next week. MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre and created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au or search MI3 Audio Edition on Apple Podcasts and hit the subscribe button to get a free notification every time we release a new episode.